Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings. You're listening once again to another episode of the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am J.P. Mosier. That's right. That is Jelton Peavis Mosier. Nailed it. Congrats to the person who guessed that on Twitter, that the that the initials for J.P. stood for Jelton Peavis. You killed it. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> oh, You get a year's supply of rice cakes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, me and Jelton Peavis, we're here to <laughs> hit you with another episode of the greatest songs in modern music history. They're great because we say they're great, but they're also great for reasons that we can break down. And let me tell you, we intend to. We intend to. So let's kick off today's uh, journey, if you will. Oh, yes. With a little little bit of uh, today's subject. Here's Don't Stop Believing. Don't Stop Believing, an all-time classic from Journey. Can't wait to get into this one. This is a this is another one of those just pop culture legendary songs that has like uh maybe Bohemian Rhapsody before it sort of lived two lifetimes of being a hit. This was an um, early request too, so sorry we're just now getting to this. Somebody asked for this the very first day, <laughs> and here we are months and months later honoring this request. We so. got around to you though. So yeah, by request. We got uh, we got this hit. This was released originally uh, in 1981 from Journey's seventh album, Escape. I yes. did not realize that that was their seventh album. Oh yes, we'll get into that later. <clears throat> They've been around for a hot minute, uh, but this was from their seventh album, Escape. I would say their most popular album by by quite a bit. By right? far. Wow. I have just disclosed the inner liner of the album cover to Rob for the first time. Oh, wow. And there is lots of running There's lots of running. Air. They're like, get it? Escape? Escape. Get it? Escape. Oh, man. Great album. Great album. Though. Great album. This album spawned an Atari 2600 game, which yeah. your boy happened to have. Yeah. And uh, you were just basically, it was like an early version of one of these games where you just run and run and run yeah. as long as you can. Uh, and you try to get out of the way of like shifty managers yeah. and groupies, groupies and stuff. stuff. Great game. Yeah, it was. A, I played it a lot, and it. I mean, I guess you know, for an Atari game, it was pretty solid. I don't know. I'd give it a. I'd give it. A I mean, it's no asteroids or anything. It's no, it's no ET. Let me tell you, if you've never played ET for 
Atari 2600, you're really missing out on the worst experience of your life. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, So, yeah, second single from their seventh album, Escape. I don't know what the first single was. It could have been any number Uh, of things. Who's crying now? Who's crying now? Yeah. Right? No, no. no. What am I thinking of? <laughs> Who's crying? What is no, it? What am I thinking you of? You just sang the riff to. Uh, <laughs> oh, Paul, you just sang that Baker oh Street God. riff oh on saxophone. Yes. That's a sax. What so, am I thinking of? Oh, oh, I'm terrible. Yeah, sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, snap. Hold pa- on. Pa- I got to pa- cleanse my palate. <laughs> okay. Okay. So let me explain what just happened. We, we had to pause our recording here so that I could get this out of my head because I know there was some reason that that song got triggered. That is, I was thinking of Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty. Uh, and I know you know this song, but it's definitely, I was like, as I'm singing it, I'm going, wait, why do, would they have a saxophone solo in a Journey <laughs> song? And so anyway, I had to figure out what triggered that song. So we went and tracked it down. Listen to the lyric right before, uh, right before the saxophone thing. Okay, so I hardly, I hardly think I'm to blame. Okay, no, I'm a thousand percent to blame because I should have known better. Uh, but you're crying now, and even in the same kind of rhythmic thing as who's, who's crying now, you're crying now. Okay, I forgive well, myself. I you don't have to, dear fun. listener. You do not have to forgive me, but I forgive myself. <laughs> I'm just out here trying to live my truth, okay? So leave me alone. Now... Just kidding. Uh, Who's Crying Now by Journey went a little something like this. So you see where I could have made an innocent mistake. I mean, <laughs> something anybody could have done confusing Journey for Jerry Rafferty. If confusing- I forgive him, y'all should too. <laughs> confusing a saxophone for neil sean it could, it could happen to you don't laugh at me dear listener no no uh, other good hits on this album uh who's crying now stone in love um open arms yeah um and my, I, what i think one of my favorites on this album is still they ride it's a great one and the title track escape they always do live too that's another good one um journey i mean wow they've had just a great career. Heck yes. I mean, incredible. Still going strong to this day uh, with their, what, fourth lead singer now, I guess? Fourth lead singer, yeah. Um, we, they've had several vocal, uh, four lead singers. Um, we want to jump in and talk about them? They've, let's, let's get save to that. it. In, yeah, let's we'll get to it in a minute when we meet the band. But they've gone through lead singers like Spinal Tap goes through drummers. <laughs> there was a little green globule on his drum kit. Um, this song is in the key of E major. It reached number eight on the Billboard Mainstream Rock Chart and number nine on the Billboard Hot 100 in the United States. It did not hit the top 40 in the UK in 1981, but it did hit number six in 2009, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, the title of the song and the, and the theme of the song, it was written by Jonathan Cain, uh, the band's keyboardist, uh, who, oh man, is one of my favorite tidbits about him. I'm going to get to it. You'll probably get to it on Meet the Band, so I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, 
But the it came from uh, Jonathan Cain's father giving him encouragement as he kind of struggled to get a foothold in the musical uh, in the music industry. He was living in L.A. on Sunset Boulevard, as were so many other musicians. And uh, that is the boulevard uh, that's referred to in the song. And the, the streetlight people are people hanging out by the streetlights, kind of looking for work and, and trying to make it uh, out living in Sunset Boulevard. I always thought, I, listen, I've said before on the podcast, the last thing I listen to is the lyric. The last thing I listen to in a song is the lyric. And so I always thought, like, I didn't, I thought, it's like, streetlight people, I don't get it. Like, I just never, never fully thought this song through lyrically until we until we kind of dug into it i just kind of always took it for what it was and i honestly i thought it was about a boy and a girl and you know whatever but no it's about all these people trying to make a living in the music industry in la um and so this song was released in uh 1981 on the album escape and so and it was successful then it was you know is a it was a obviously hit number eight on the mainstream rock chart so it was a successful song then but something happened in the late 2000s a couple of things happened in the late 2000s that made this song just skyrocket into the forefront of pop culture again um and really weird thing but it shows you the power of of uh of you know media um in 2007, the song gained press coverage and a sharp growth in popularity for its use in the famous final scene of HBO's series, The Sopranos. Um, this song was what played in the background of the final episode, one of the most anticipated TV show finales of all time. Um, and, and then it didn't, it didn't hurt that that final scene was like hotly debated of, you know, what happened and, you know, did, you know, um, did Tony die? What ha you know, so people were watching it over and over and over again. Uh, and so then this leads to a rise in popularity, uh, again of the song. Steve Perry was initially hesitant to allow the song, uh, to be used in the Sopranos. Uh, but his bank account convinced him otherwise <laughs> uh, digital downloads of the song soared following the episode's airing and the exposure motivated the band members to overcome the struggles that they were having at the time internally and find a replacement lead singer after Steve Perry's uh, departure and other lead singers had come and gone as well. And I think did he came back for a brief stint with them as well, just for a minute. No, no. He, okay. Well, he came back in the late nineties and they did. Um, okay. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. The, when you love a woman. Yes. Song. That's what I'm talking. That was on another trial by fire. Phenomenal song good album. Um, good journey, song. like Kings of ballads, man, Dude, just ballads Kings, yes. all day long. Um, so this song, it was also recorded by the cast of Glee uh, it was used in the pilot episode of the TV show Glee, which took off in popularity uh, and released as part of the Glee soundtrack. And actually, the Glee version of Don't Stop Believing" charted higher in the United States than the Journey version did, which is a shocking, disgusting travesty. But it's the truth. Uh, charted higher in the United States. It is the number one paid digital download that was originally released in the 20th century. So it is the most downloaded song that originated in the 1900s uh, and was also the 72nd most downloaded song period of 2008, 84th most downloaded song of 2009, and 
Uh, that's over 27 years after its initial initial release. It's the best-selling digital song from the pre-digital era, and is also the best was also the best-selling rock song in digital history until it was overtaken in January 2014 by. Guesses? Yeah. January 2014, about four years ago. Exactly four years ago, as we Depending record this. We yeah. this. Uh, yeah. Any guesses? Genre? Uh, rock, uh, rock. Like, like um, you know, dubstep rock. I don't know, man. Imagine Dragons, oh, Radioactive, yeah. is the song that became the biggest selling uh, digital song, rock song in history, uh, taking over for uh, Don't Stop Believing. Uh, it was also used by, and you may have some info on this, uh, m- used by multiple sports teams mm-hmm. uh, from several years. You want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, uh, sure. 2005 White Sox um, used it. The 2008 Dodgers used it, but Steve Perry's a big Giants fan, yeah. so he didn't like that. Was that was kind of a sore one. Yeah. But um, his bank account, though. There we go again. I'm telling you. Um, other pop culture things, it was also in Scrubs and Cold Case, too. Yeah. Other shows that it was was on on that. And uh, he uh, he got his sort of comeuppance for being used in the um, Dodgers games from 2008 to 2009 when the San Francisco Giants uh, started winning World Series in 2010 and they used it and he performed at several you know games and that kind of stuff um, also um, the uh, prior to the beginning of the 2014 football season uh, at Mississippi State their football coach asked the DJ to play don't stop believing between the third and fourth quarters of each of their home games. Uh, and they immediately took to the song, and they began to sway and ring the cowbells that they traditionally bring to home games in sync with the beat while playing along. So you've got a stadium full of uh, Mississippi State Bulldog fans uh, cowbelling along to Don't Stop Believing in between uh, quarters there. So that's kind of fun. Um, as far as the U.K. charts, this is cool. The song was released in the U.K. in December 81 and peaked only at number 62. Like we said, didn't hit the top 40. It never re-released in the U.K., Uh, But it retained a cult following and re-entered the UK singles chart in February uh, 2009 at number 94 due to digital downloads. On uh, following a performance on the X Factor, it don't it it uh, re-entered the chart again at number 52 and it rose to number 19 a week later. Stayed in the charts for three weeks before dropping out of the top 40. On December 20th of that year, it re-entered the chart again at number nine after the song was performed again on the X Factor by one of the finalists. Uh, it remained in the top 10 for another seven weeks in 2010, hitting a peak of number six in the process. Uh, and they the X Factor folks wanted to release it as a single, but the band wouldn't allow it. Uh, they didn't like the arrangement, apparently, and and put the kibosh on uh, releasing it as a single through X Factor. Although, I don't know why. I mean, their wallet had steered them before. Like, why not, man? Make that money. But hey, I guess you got to draw the line somewhere with your uh, musical integrity. Let Glee record it, but not X <laughs> but Factor. not X Factor. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in early 2010, it was announced that the song had been the 65th best-selling single of 2009. Don't Stop Believing spent a total of 21 non-consecutive weeks in the top 40 during its November 2009 to April 2010 run. Don't Stop Believing was the 25th best-selling track of 2010 in the UK, selling just over 435,000 copies. It sold half a million copies in 2010 in the UK. Like, holy smokes, man. 
Uh, it re-entered the charts in 2011, 2012, and 2013, and to date has spent 95 weeks in the top 100. Wow. That's insane. Uh, and we've talked before about the importance of a hook in a song and, and how, it, uh, you know, how it brings you back around to want to hear the song and it grabs you. The hook to this song, if you're going to call it the chorus, doesn't come into the song until almost the end. Yep. It's almost an outro. Like it's three minutes, almost three and a half minutes into the song before you hear the words don't stop believing. Yeah. It's it's like a it's like the na na na's in and Hey Jude. Jude. Yeah. It's a, it's an afterthought. Uh-huh. The whole song is done uh before, but it's such a it's such a kind of release to the song and it's like the you know, all these people struggling and, and, and whatever, and you finally get to It's the to happy this, ending. It is the happy ending. Don't stop believing. You can do anything. Kevin Garnett, anything is possible! Oh, Kevin Garnett, thanks for dropping yeah, by, man. Thanks for by. Good to see you. Uh, what jersey you're wearing, Mr. What? Garnett? Is that a Celtics jersey? Is that a Timberwolves jersey? I, I don't know. He's gone already. Yeah, he, a, you know how he is. He's, he's just, just in and out real In quick. and out, that Garnett. Doesn't even know anything about music. I honestly don't know why he showed up. At least he uh, stopped in. But uh, Anything is possible. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Why do you guys listen to this podcast? What are we doing here? Um, so, yeah, I... This is just one of those has become a pop culture icon, um, and I, I I don't I don't know exactly why. I guess people identify with it. Motivational, you, I guess. It motivation. is motivational. It's uplifting, uh, and everybody feels like they have a struggle in some way. I guess so. Maybe that's what is connecting with people. Um, I mean, it's very the lyric is very. It paints a great picture. Um, you know, singer in a smoky room, the smell of wine and cheap perfume. That's a very, um, you know, emotive sort of, it brings up, brings up great pictures and feelings and thoughts. Um, so I, I guess that's what it is. It's just people feel like, man, everyday life is a grind. It's a struggle. And it hits all ages too. Like it hits the parents, the kids, the high school, you know, everything. I think it hits all ages. I mean, even his dad, Jonathan Cain, you know, he told him, don't stop believing or you're done was like his thing. It's yeah. like it's like my dad, Jelton Piva Sr. always says, you know, don't stop believing don't or you're done. Stop, man. Thanks, Father. Father Jelton Pivas Sr. I'm a junior. For those of y'all that don't know him, Jelton Pivas Jr. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so that's good. Any other any other lines that that you like? You want to talk about the the South Detroit? I do. I uh, I think my, my other favorite line is probably um, I like uh, some will win, some will lose, some are born to sing the blues. Yeah. I like I, that's a great line. Um, yeah, I think that's that's a solid. Solid winner. Tell us about South yeah, Detroit. Yeah, South Detroit. There's actually no South Detroit. It's actually Canada. And yeah, Steve Perry tried to sing, you know, East Detroit, West Detroit, North Detroit. It just didn't flow. Didn't so work. He just liked the sound of South Detroit. Born which, and raised in East Detroit. Yeah, Not it the same. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. that good. Nope. So. Born and raised in North Detroit. Uh, Yuck. West is South. Yeah, South. South. Something South about Detroit. that sibilance. I guess. Born and raised in South Detroit. Feels good, but yeah, if you're in Detroit and you go south, you just ends up you end up in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, um, and uh, there is no there's there's an area of southern Detroit that has kind of a derogatory name that I'm not going to say on the podcast, but other than that, there's no like you know um, uh, there's it's not like West Palm Beach. Sure. West Palm Beach is a place called West sure. Palm Beach. It's not the West 
side of Palm Beach. Um, so anyway, no such thing as South Detroit. Go figure. Um, Just sounded good. Meet the band? Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, so we're going to meet the band of Journey uh, and the band that recorded on this album, the 81 Escape album, um, on lead vocals, um, Steve Perry. His parents are Portuguese. Um, the way he actually ended up becoming in the band is a great story. Uh, Herbie Herbert, the manager, um, heard him on a cassette and was um, he had him come join the band as like the Portuguese cousin roadie. So he came in as like a roadie and just hung out because Herbie Herbert wanted him to get in front of the band because they were you know needing a strong vocalist to take him to the next level. Um, they were primarily a, a jam band before with lots of guitar, um, which him and Neil Sean debated throughout the whole time about, you know, songs versus jam sections. Yeah. Um, like, what, what am I going to do in this? Neil Sean would be like, I'm, you know, where's my rock guitar? Um, but during a sound check of a song, he came out and sang and did a sound check with them and got the job because they heard him during sound check. He came yeah. out and just and gigged that. Pays to and, be around. Yeah, that's right. He ended up singing on nine Journey albums. Also had some pretty big solo hits. Um, yeah. Oh, Sherry. Yeah. Um, oh, Sherry's big. You want to play a sampling of Oh, Sherry? Yeah, sure. Why not? Let's hear it. Throw a little of that in. Yeah, that's a uh, oh Sherry. That's Steve Perry, lead vocalist of Journey. One of the most amazing voices I've ever heard in my life. Yes, just an incredible singer. Like his voice is so cool. I think that it's funny. You said, I think they actually called him the Voice. Like, oh, like yeah? that was his nickname. Man, like, just an unmistakable voice. Like, uh, and his voice has a quality. It's got kind of a grittiness to it but at the same time it's like soft and tender like it's not your typical 80s rock true voice not growly no and it's not like um you know like he doesn't sound like the guy from foreigner true you know what i mean which is sort of what you had in a lot of 80s bands a lot of one name 80s bands yeah (laughs) yeah journey Journey, foreigner hmm Mm. huh Hmm. may have to examine that a little further um but uh, yeah, just oh my gosh, one of my favorite voices. Like you know, everybody's kind of got that list of people that like if if I could make a deal with somebody to trade voices, it would be one of these five people. He's definitely on that list for me. Incredible, amazing voice. Also a good drummer. He started really? started as a drummer. No yeah, kidding. Just it. like the Beebs. Well, there you go. Just like- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Please don't compare that. Um, on guitar, Neil Sean uh, started yeah. his career at age fifteen when he played with Santana. Santana. He was also in uh, Supergroup Bad English, which uh, features Jonathan Kane, who's the keyboard player here, and Dean Castronova, um, John Waite, and Ricky Phillips. You know, I didn't know that. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. About any of that. I really? mean, I, I knew Santana, but I didn't know about Bad English. Oh, yeah. No. Go yeah. figure. And I didn't know Jonathan Kane. You know Kane the Bad there. English hit? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, the one with the saxophone, right? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> Nailed it. Um, when I See You Small? Yeah. That's there. Go figure. Um, Anyway, Gear, he's uh, played Neil Neil Sean custom Gibson guitars um, all through his early career. Cool thing with that is they only made 35. 
ever, which wow. is a very limited amount. Um, huh, yeah. So uh, that's Jeez, not very they many. They could have sold so many. Only 35. They went for rarity and value over, um, um, what's the word, um, you know. Something being all over the place. Volume. <laughs> yeah, I guess over volume. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, they only made thirty-five. Which he had some guitars stolen at a show a few years ago, and two of them were those. Oh. So there's not that many floating around, and to Brutal. lose two of those, somebody's doing very well. Yeah. With that, um, in the late '80s, he swapped over to Jackson guitars and had uh, custom Jackson and Larry V's Larry V's made. Um, and actually, the videos "I'll Be All Right Without You" and "Be Good to Yourself." There's tons of shots of the guitar because he was doing that. To sell guitars. As a promo. So if you're watching the videos, you'll be like, man, they keep showing the guitar a lot. I don't know if, if you notice it, but... It's, sell out. It was to sell guitars. Um, the only other time he plays another guitar is predominantly on lights. He only uses a Strat, and that's the only song he plays a Strat on. So huh. he just uses it for that. Wow. Uh, pedals. Um, he's got a, he uses exotic line, and he actually uses all of Vox Satch pedals. Really? And the Buddy Guy Wah. Um, now he plays all PR, PRS guitars and yep. has two signature series, an NS14 and an NS15. And I'm a big Neil Sean fan. Oh, who's not? So, I mean, how could you not be? I, uh, the 2001 DVD that they did um, is a live concert video, and I used to watch that over and over again. And actually, that's this is, contr- this is the probably way out in left field, but my favorite Journey album is actually Arrival. Really? Which is not popular at yeah. all. There are no hits on it. None. If I was to say, I mean, you know, you won't know any of them. Mm-mm. But it's great. And it came out right before the DVD. So they do some songs on there. And he is so mean to his guitar tech the whole time. <laughs> Looking over, pointing up, like, give me more volume and just giving nasty looks. So <laughs> aside from that, good guitar player, Neil. <laughs> great guitar player. Um, on keyboard, Jonathan Kane. Jonathan Leonard Frigga is actually his name. Really? Um, yep. Uh, great keyboard riff at the beginning of this song. Um, also wrote all of Faithfully, their other power ballad. Okay. He, he wrote the entirety Go of Kane. that. Good job. Um, plays the keyboard solo before open arms at all their shows. He plays the exact same solo every time, which yeah. is weird for me that someone would play an exact solo for years. Since 98, he's played the exact same solo except for four times. His huh. whole, so however many years that is, 20, wow. 20 something years. Uh, married to Paula White. Married to Paula White. This is my favorite piece of random musical information. Yeah. Uh, Paula White, TV evangelist. Minister. Like, turn on TBN sometime and you'll see her on there. That's such a weird thing. Like, my, my every, seriously, every now and then, I'll just, I'll just turn to my wife and say, I can't believe the keyboardist for Journey is married to Paula White. I follow Jonathan Kane on Twitter, so if you're listening out there, he uh, and he has praise and worship albums now. Yeah, that you go get them, Jonathan Kane. Go I really want to like them, man. <laughs> I really want to like them so bad, and I believe in what you're doing. Go win the lost, but man, we'll just we'll go on to Ross Valerie. Hey, Ross, bass player plays a four string bass. Love this fact. Um, he tunes it like the like a five string. So he plays a four string, but it's B E A D. No G. No G. Huh. So he plays a four string tuned like tuned, a five string down a with no G. Interesting. Yeah, so and he's done that his whole career with Journey. That is not new. It's very uh, strange. Very strange. Did he just figure I'm not using that high string? I don't know. I know he had uh he had custom Jackson and Charvels, it's all he's ever played. Um and I just don't why wouldn't they make him a I don't know. I don't you know. <laughs> 
it's like I, I don't I don't maybe know. Maybe he's got short fingers. Maybe he doesn't want the want the the fifth the string. The fifth down string, there. I guess. Or maybe he's just like honestly, like I have no need for this upper string. Yeah, I don't like, need the G and huh. I don't know. So it's it looks it, if you're watching him play live, it looks weird yeah. because he's playing a four string and his hand positioning is not right on right. the guitar. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 odd. Uh, and he plays through an Ampeg head just straight into the house. He's a straight into a house guy. Okay. No amps on stage, nothing. Huh. So, and just cheap GHS round wound strings. So he's just your basic four string guy, tuned a little weird, but I guess he can hey, it works. jump in and play anywhere. Had a great career. Um, on drums, Steve Smith. Uh, he studied jazz drums at Berkeley, buddies with Neil Peart of Rush, uh, Buddy Rich inspired, um, famous drummer, big time yeah. drummer, played with a lot of people. Big deal. Um, Gretsch Kits in the 70s and 80s, uh, deal with uh, Vic Firth Sticks, still with them, Zildjian Cymbals, still with them today, and he has two different custom sonar kits, one he only plays on the East Coast, one he only plays on the West Coast, huh. and plays Remo Black Dot Heads, so that's no. a little bit about him, but there's been some lineup changes throughout yeah. the years with Journey. They've had four vocalists. Four, count them. First was Robert Fleischman. Okay. On the album Next, which you would maybe know him from, you may not know him, but he wrote the score for that 70s show and did all the music for SpongeBob SquarePants. No kidding. The vocalist for Journey. Wow. Yes, yes, Robert Fleischman. Then Steve Perry. Then my favorite Journey vocalist, Are Steve Augeri. Love Steve Augeri. Wow. He's yes. your favorite he's Journey vocalist. He's my favorite. If they're like... You could, he's my favorite. That's astonishing. Yeah, he's, I think he has the strongest voice. I like him. Wow. So, yeah. Um, and now Arnel Panetta, who they found on YouTube. Yeah. He was in a Journey cover band. If you haven't seen the documentary, One Man's Journey, uh, go watch it. I think it's on Netflix. It stays on Netflix pretty regularly. Uh, get, if you get a chance, go watch it, the documentary about Great how they story. found him and how you got started with the band. And, you know, I, I said at the beginning that Steve Perry has an unmistakable voice. But Arnell Pineda... It's pretty darn close. You could mistake him for Steve Perry at times. I mean, it is uncanny uh, to the degree to which he sounds like Steve Perry and has done the work to get his inflections and that kind of stuff. Like, it's very weird. But I've seen Journey twice and both times have been with Arnell Pineda and he is great. Yeah. live and his stage energy is through the roof he's jumping off speakers he's running all over the whole time and i think he brought a good youthful energy to them there's yep. a, there's actually a scene in the in the uh documentary where his first time out with them in front of a big audience like they did not like all the movement and stuff that he were doing that, that, that he was doing they were like this is journey we stand and we deliver the songs and that's about it you know what i mean and that's kind of how we, we can hold things. a mic stand in the air but yeah that's about uh, the extent but of it. uh so they were like no you know no more pyrotechnics from you but i think he gives them a good a good you know boost yeah a good boost because they're all you know late Old. 50s early 60s at this point they gotta be um so uh you know he gives them a good oomph I mean, he's not a teenager, but, you know, still, he's... He, he looks young, too. Yeah, he looks real young. Um, on bass, Ross Valerie was the original bass player, and then in the late 80s, Randy Jackson actually played bass yeah. with him. Um, dog? dog? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did Randy stop by? Yeah. Oh, good to see you, Randy. Oh, good to Man. see you. Thanks for wow. poking your head Everybody's, uh, yeah. Did you okay. see Kevin Garnett coming in? He just, you just missed him. Um, <laughs> Anything's yeah. possible, dog. Yeah, right. Good. Uh, but, uh, yeah, sad, kind of a the reason they asked Randy Jackson is they didn't think Ross Valerie had the chops, and they were like, "We want to get somebody that's 
really good. And that makes me sad for Ross, but it makes me like his story because he's back. Yeah. Like I like that. Like, you know, we went with the we went with the smart choice. High profile. And yeah. it didn't work. Yeah. So we're back to to that guy, to yeah. our roots. And I like that guy yeah. for that reason. He may not be the flashiest, but he feels like home. He feels like home. That's good, man. That's good. I like that. Um, on drums, uh, Steve Smith, who's on this and the early drum and uh, the early albums, and Dean Castronova is now the new drummer. Um, who actually I think or you we've had this debate maybe there's somebody newer I since think him. yeah I think he had an issue with drugs and stuff and they maybe just recently gave him the boot I don't know who the newest guy is so yeah. sorry newest guy for journey I should probably look that up but um, and on keys uh, Greg Raleigh was the original keyboard player and now it's Jonathan Kane Greg Raleigh actually also played with Santana really so that's how him and Neil Sean ended okay. up in journey right. they were both Santana guys yeah and that was the era of Santana that was acceptable to me yeah when neil sean was kicking with him it was more like progressive rock i don't like what santana does now i'm not a fan um and i've talked about this on on a facebook mini episode um but uh when he had neil sean i kind of dug you know that stuff but that's probably more a product of having neil sean um and being more a little bit more jam band oriented i think yes a little more progressive rock oriented um so, yeah, no such thing as South Detroit. <laughs> None. <laughs> um, I've got some stuff on covers. Yes, please. Um, a million, probably. There's a bunch. Um, so I had to narrow it down. I did it by my favorite, ones I can't stand, ones that are wrong. And then, <laughs> so, like, anyway, I'll just pick four. I had, There's way too many, so I'll just pick four. Jefferson Starship actually did one. No kidding. And it's weak. The guitar is weird. They don't do the, they don't do the solo. They don't do the, like, the fast, but it's just... It's weird for another high-profile band yeah. to try to cover another high-profile band song. It's true. Um, you have uh, oh, that would be a great list though. Yeah. Oh man, we're gonna have that to try to pull with it that. off. That's another high, high-profile bands that have covered high-profile songs from other bands. Yes, that's good. So that was an odd take. I don't like it at all. Uh, my least favorite. Sorry if you're listening. Petra Hayden is her acapella version. It's pretty popular out there. It's one of the most popular, but it's acapella and just not right. Um, Northern Kings did a metal version that I think is too fast, but my favorite cover is by Steel Panther. Please listen to it. It's good. Let's take a listen to it. It's good. Here you go, Steel Panther, with their take. And see, I, we were talking about this as we were listening. You like the guy's vocals on it, and I, that's what I don't like about it. I and, love it that it's rock, and it's if Journey had a true rock vocalist oh, in the 80s, this is what it would be like, yeah. and I love that, and, and Rob can't stand it. I like Steve Perry because he doesn't sound like a typical rock vocalist. Yeah. From the, like He's got, to me, his voice is a different plane from all those other guys. I feel like if that's like if... If um, you know Bon Jovi did a cover, or if you know Dawkins, oh, that is or very Bon Jovi. Like, yeah, that's pretty good. It. Otherwise, very faithful to the original. Yeah, it's though. true I mean, to the original, yeah. and uh, it's just sort of an updated take on it. Yeah. It's really all it is. So yeah. that's my favorite cover. Um, that's pretty much what I've got on "Don't Stop Believing" yeah. today. Okay, uh, so one thing I wanted to point out about this song that's pretty interesting um, is that 
the the drum groove on this never has a backbeat. And when I say a, a backbeat, what I mean is when you think of a drum pattern, you typically think of kick on one and three, snare on two and four, boom, Right, and most songs, especially most songs that are hits, have some kind of backbeat, um, at least in the U.S. Um, but this song never gets there. It has um, it has snare hit on two, and then syncopated toms. Yeah, it's mainly after tom that. work. And it never goes anywhere beyond that. Hmm. Uh, on the on the bridge, stranger, or the pre-chorus, right in, up and down the boulevard. None of it. It never goes to a straight back beat. Even on the big at the um, end outro, yeah. don't stop believing. It's still just vamping. Never to a full back beat, which you would expect at some point that it would sort of release to that and give the people what they want. But apparently the people aren't missing it because this song has been a huge hit, multi-platinum, multi-platinum, you know, several times over. So, um, but I just think, I thought it was interesting for a, I mean, firmly categorizable as a rock song in a rock era that doesn't have a backbeat. It's very, very uh, unusual. So, um, I thought that was something cool to the point where, like you and I, we covered this song in a band one time, and we had, I had to go back and listen to it to go, what the heck are the drums doing? Yeah. I just never thought about it. Yeah. Uh, but it's something that's very and so you know our drummer was playing something. I was like, that's not right. Something's wrong about our groove, and we had to go back and listen to it. And then I go, crap, he never does it. Never does a backbeat, um, which is just something that you would expect. And for those of y'all that are playing it live, if you're doing a cover. Please do their live version, not the studio version, because it's a little bit faster. And I like it a little bit faster. A little faster. A little faster. Look at the Live in Houston from 81 version, and that's the speed I would <laughs> like you to do it, because that's the speed I like it. Let's play. Let's let's take you out with it. This has been uh, Don't Stop Believing by Journey on the Great Song Podcast. Can't wait to see you again next week. Thanks for, thanks for listening, wherever you are. I'm Rob. I'm JP. Let's listen to some Journey. Jeans. <laughs> <laughs>